Okay. Um, I don't know how many weeks ago it was now, maybe two, maybe three. Uh, Nikki preached. Do you remember Nikki's preach? She called it wholeheartedly. But the thing that people remember, the thing that I remember about it is this idea that we've got full luggage and we need to create space for God in our luggage, the luggage of our everyday life. And I've been thinking about that and thinking, well, how, how do you make space? And so while I've been pondering this, uh, I've decided that, well, God led me to, to actually, we're going to do a couple of weeks on that topic, making room in your luggage. And uh, that's before we kick off on towards Christmas. Uh, so Christmas preachers are coming up. Don't worry, you're going to get your Christmas preachers. But I, I want to do two weeks on this first. And I want to start with something, and it's a law. You might not recognize it as a law. You might not think of it as a law, but it's a law that you've all encountered and you've all experienced. And uh, it's called Parkinson's Law. And Parkinson's Law is this. The, amount of the, the, the time that work takes will expand to fill the allotted time given to it. Yeah? Now, uh, I don't know if you, you've experienced this, but I used to experience it a lot at work. You know, we, in the accountancy uh, business, you have these big peaks. And so we used to have this big peak sort of November through to the end of January when all the personal tax returns were going through and so on. And uh, everybody was working really quickly. And it was amazing how little time those tax returns you took to complete when there was a limited amount of time. When people sent their stuff in in summer, rather than right at the, close to the deadline, it used to take ages. And the time spent on these returns, you know, you couldn't recover that amount of time because the work expanded to fill the amount of time available. And... Uh, I don't know if, you, if you've experienced this in your house. I'm sure Cheryl will own up to experiencing this. But um, before she does, I'll, I'll make a confession. Okay? Um, here's my confession. Is that sometimes Cheryl gives me a job to do on Saturdays. Uh, like put a shelf up or put a curtain pole up or something. And, and because I've got all day to do it, like it takes about... 20 minutes, half an hour to put a curtain pole up. But because I've got all day to do it, I'll, I'll, I'll think about it and then I'll have a coffee and then I'll think, oh, I just need to go to B&Q because I'm not really sure if I've got enough plugs to go in the wall. And I'll get to B&Q and I think, oh, I'll just go now. I couldn't do, I'm thinking about putting a new desk in my room. And I'll come back from B&Q about three hours later and sometime by about five o'clock in the evening, I might have got round to putting the pole up. That's Parkinson's law. It takes me all day to do something that would be 20 minutes. Um, Sarah might remember this because Sarah was, Sarah was a goodie. But we, the, the first lot of truth quests we did, uh, we, we do truth quests each month. So they come once a month. Truth quest is where we train people to teach and preach. So we're trying to raise people. That's what Nikki went on. Sarah did it a couple of years ago. And they were doing great, but then I made the mistake of giving them two and a half months over the summer to do this particular thing. So they were doing great when it was only a month. When it was the two and a half months, we got to the week before, having had a whole summer to prepare this, and only Sarah had done it. So well done, Sarah. Bad for the rest of them. But that's Parkinson's law. 
That's Parkinson's law. Now, we have a variation on Parkinson's law in faith life. It's called Cheryl's law <laughs> or Shezza's law, if, if you want a gaming name, just there. Shezza's law is this. The amount of packing will expand to fill the boot space available. <laughs> you, guys, you know that's true, don't you? You know that. I'm just naming it Shezza's law. It could be Esther's law. It could be Olive's law. It could be anybody's law. But... But there's a basic principle that what you have expands to fill the space available. And uh, how we approach God is no different to that. The same is true about God. God will fill whatever space we make for him in our lives. God will fill whatever space we make for him in our lives because he wants to. And I, when I, I sent this out, I call this spiritual life for ordinary people. So make room in your luggage, spiritual life for ordinary people. And so the question is, why, why use that ordinary people? Why use that word? Why did I pick ordinary? Because when we're sat here and when we think about these things, we can often think that spiritual life is only available for super spiritual people. And... Uh, it's something that's kind of reserved for these spiritual people. And so we, we all know spiritual people, don't we? And so when you are starting out in your journey with God, or maybe you haven't even started your journey with God yet, or maybe when you're kind of halfway through your journey with God, you look at these people and you go, well, I like what I see, but I've got no idea how I'm going to get there. And, you know, that may be for some people, I, I think this is more common uh, perhaps in America than in England, but the, you've got the super spiritual granny who's prayed for you all your life and you want to grow up to be grandma and you've no idea how to get there. You know, you might want to be like, I don't know, like Joyce. Like, we all want to be like, pray like Joyce, don't we? I, well, I want to pray like Joyce. I want like excitement that she has for prayer and, and goes for it. But you've got super spiritual people who seem to... Uh, and plugged in and connected with God. And, and it leaves us ordinary people, because I'll, I'll own up to be an ordinary person in this, it leaves us ordinary people going like, how do I get there? Like, I might not have been a Christian very long. I might not even be a Christian yet. I might still be thinking about it. I might, um, I might just be on my journey. But how do I get to be like that? How, how do I get to be like that? And so it's, that's why it's really important that this is for ordinary people, because it's got to work for ordinary people, because it's no good if we're just a few people. And so that's what I want to talk about at the, at the moment, well, this morning. Because this idea of the spiritual life, it can be kind of too abstract for most people. If you're a really practical person, talking about the spiritual life sounds a bit abstract. And for, for some of us who've been on this journey a long time, if we, we, we don't really uh, understand how we, we move closer and closer to God and make room for him, our spiritual life becomes really dull. And a boring life as a Christian is a result of not making this room. Do, do you understand that? It's really at the core of everything we are because Christianity, as you know, probably, because somebody said it to you, 
Christianity is about a relationship and not about religion. So therefore, we want a real relationship and we, we need to help each other at whatever stage we're at to understand how we get there. And thankfully, God has a plan for how he gets people down that curve from not knowing him at all to being one of these people who fully experience him in relationship. And he's got a plan and he knows how to do it. And uh, so what that means is for ordinary people, including me, there's the potential for us to experience more of God's grace more of his joy, more of his peace, and more of his power, and that's available to everyone. No exceptions. It's available to everyone. And that, that for me, that's really encouraging. I don't know about for you. you know, I'm getting some smiles here, so it's obviously encouraged Penny. But for me, God wants to meet people in the ordinary moments of ordinary life. And one of the mistakes we can make is when we, we try and be super spiritual is we go around chasing mountaintop moments. I don't know what, if you know what I mean by a mountaintop moment. When you're kind of on a high and it's all amazing and you've just come out and you're like, the Holy Spirit's moved and you, like, you, you, your heart's all churning and it's amazing. And so the spiritual life that Jesus talks about isn't chasing mountaintop moments. It isn't flying off and traveling everywhere to get mountaintop moments. The life that Jesus talks about and the life that the apostles talked about is ordinary life lived out by ordinary people in ordinary situations. And the really good news about that is that God's interested in us and likes to be involved in ordinary situations. He likes to be involved in ordinary lives. Ordinary, everyday moments. He, he's interested in you when you're washing the dishes. He's interested in you when you're feeding the kids. He's interested in you when you're trying to get the kids to go to bed. He's interested in me when I'm looking after the puppies, the dogs. He's interested in you when you're in a work meeting. He's interested in you when you're shopping. He's interested in you when you're at the Tills. Uh, who were we promote? Tesco. Yeah. He's interested in, in you wherever you are. So he's interested in being part of ordinary lives of ordinary people. And so he, he, what he wants is for those ordinary people to make room for him in those ordinary lives. So we're not talking super spiritually. This is, this is for anybody. This is kind of a starting point. Even if you don't know Jesus, this is a starting point. So the question then becomes, how do you make room? How do you make this sort of room? How do you do it? Because I think if we uh, kind of look at ourselves, we, we really do want to experience more of God's grace and power and life in our lives. We might not be sure what that looks like, but we kind of like it to be different from what we've got now. And, and that's true wherever you are on this journey from somebody who just really hasn't decided whether they want to connect with Jesus at all to somebody who's been in this journey for 20, 30, 40 years. There's, there's always more that we can connect to. And so we need to know how to make the space for God to fill. 
And here's where I'm going to depress you. Okay? Prepare to be depressed and then prepare to be encouraged. How does that, how does that sound? We can do it the other way around, but the talk doesn't work that well. So here's, here's what I want to do. I'm going to talk for the next two weeks on the subject of spiritual disciplines. You just decided to be rebellious there, didn't you? You see, this is the thing. When we put a name on something, it automatically makes us think of something, and in this case, something we don't want to do, but the super spiritual people do. And the thing is, that's not true. It's just us using Christian jargon. Or, in this case, using something that was meaningful 200, 300 years ago, but he's no longer cutting it with us. You know, it's hard to believe. People used to get really excited about spiritual, the, the name spiritual disciplines. We don't. We don't like it. So instead of that, well, let me, let me put it this way first. The reason you should be interested in this topic, the reason you should be interested in it is it's the key to growing in every area of your life. So like it or dislike the title, it's key for every single one of us. It's the key to be able to do something you currently can't do. Spiritual disciplines, a discipline is any activity you can do which will enable you, or me, enable me to do that which I cannot currently do. So that's a good thing. It's just the title we didn't like, yeah? We all should think, well, actually, I'd really like to be able to do some things I can't currently do. I'd really like that sort of relationship with Jesus that Mark talks about. I'd really like to be able to deal with some of the things I'm dealing with in my life instead of them overwhelming me. I'd really like to be able to deal with some of the stuff that's got a hold on me. And these spiritual disciplines allow us and connect us with the ability to do what we can't currently do. So that, in that way, it's a good thing. So... Um, I can't remember who it was, but about 18 months, two years ago, people got really keen on this thing, couch to 10K. Who did couch to 10K? Anybody? Was it 5K? It's bit, that's deflation for you, isn't it? <laughs> couch to 5K, whatever, couch to 5K. And uh, there were some people who did it. I know Jenny did it in, in the church in Croydon. And uh, so... Is the I thought I would do couch to 5K. Obviously, I overestimate because I had 10K in mind. <laughs> but it's good to be put right. I could have done it otherwise, Roger. You see, couch to 5K. And here's the thing about couch to 5K. If you go out and try and run 5K straight away, not having run for five years, you will get one result. You will injure yourself. And you won't be doing couch to 5K for quite some time. I do this on summer holiday every year. I go off very excited and then I injure myself. But the key to being able to do something you currently can't do is to practice for it. 
you train for it. And eventually, you gain the ability to run 5K. Yeah? And so, rather than let's call these spiritual disciplines, because that can become a hurdle to us, I'll give them a, a modern title or a newer title. Let's call them habits. Spiritual habits. Things that are good. Sometimes we think of habits as bad things, but actually God gave us this ability to form habits for good reasons. So let's call them spiritual habits. And what are they? Well, spiritual habits are age-old practices, like since Jesus, that old, age-old practices uh, that make room for God. And I'm going to talk about what they are next week. I'm going to focus in on some of them. But they're things like, Studying the scriptures, prayer, giving, fasting, taking time out in quiet and rest. That's what spiritual disciplines are. Let's call them spiritual habits. I particularly like the taking time out in quiet and rest one. And I like the studying the scriptures one because that's what I enjoy. But that's what they are. That's what these spiritual habits are that I'm talking about. Now, before I get into these spiritual habits and talk about that, I need to clear some stuff out of the way first. And I'm going to do that by telling you what they aren't. Because the problem with us looking at the super spiritual people that we can't get anywhere near and we've no idea how to, con how, how, how to get from where we are to where they are, the problem with that is that we often have a wrong idea of what we're trying to achieve. And that's what I want to focus in on this morning before I get on to what the spiritual disciplines are next week. Because these are so important, they're so key. Right, so let's let me tell you what they aren't rather than what they are. Because that's often the easier way to, for us to understand and I'll clear some things out of the way. The first thing that these things aren't is they are not a barometer of your spiritual life. They're not a barometer of your spiritual life. Because, it, let, me, let me put that slightly different. It's so easy, isn't it, to be uh, weighed down by the weight of reading your Bible or praying for long periods of time when we think God is grading us on our performance in doing that. That's what makes it difficult. That's what makes it a burden. That's what makes it, oh, I don't want to go to church this week because I'll feel like I've got to do something. Because we've got this idea in our head and maybe we've been taught it and maybe we've, we, we've heard it and maybe we've misunderstand it, misunderstood it. But what you're doing here, when, when you're doing these things, they are not a way of measuring how spiritual you are. They are not something that you have to do um, you could do them 24-7. Some people do do them 24-7. And, and you can still end up not, in, not very deep in your relationship with Jesus. Not very spiritual. How do I know that? Well, the Pharisees in Jesus' day did this sort of thing. And they, they knew everything. They read everything. They studied everything. They prayed all the time. They prayed on street corners. They gave publicly. And yet they missed Jesus. 
And sometimes we've inherited these ideas that cause us to miss Jesus. And so they're not a barometer of spirituality. And when these disciplines, habits, become a means by which we think we've got to impress God, they become toxic. And maybe you've found them at some point in your journey toxic. Because they stop being about the journey and they become about impressing God and nastily about impressing others. And that just doesn't help you at all. But more to the point, it doesn't help others because they're ordinary people. So they're not a, they're not a way to impress God. They're a way to walk with God as he wants to walk with you. Let me say that again. They're not a way to impress God. They're a way to walk with God as he wants to walk with you. Secondly, thing, thing that they aren't. They are not a way to earn the favor of God. The, you, you don't do these things to earn more grace. Grace is free. You don't do these things to get more good will, will from God. You don't do these things to twist God's arm to get him to answer your prayers. That's not what they're about, because that, and that doesn't work. His disciplines or his habits that he's put in, in, in the Bible to help us are not even for him. You've got to understand this. These, these things I'm talking about, they're not for him. He's okay with himself. They're for us. Disciplines or habits, spiritual habits, are not a way to earn God's grace. They are a way to put yourself in the path of his grace as he's moving. They're not a way of earning anything, but they are a way of putting yourself in the path of his grace so it impacts your life. If you don't know what his grace is, basically his grace is everything that Jesus paid for at the cross, all the good stuff he paid for, paid for, and he wants to get to us. And because he paid for it, it's free to us. But these habits, these spiritual habits, enable us to get in the path so our life merges with where the good stuff is. Here's the third thing that, that they are. They are not a means to an end in themselves. You know, a lot of uh, Christians will come out with phrases, well, we need to do this, we need to do that, we need to do this, we need to do that. And, and you go like, why do we need to do that? Because that's what Christians do and that's what churches do. So we need to do it. We need one of these, just like everybody else has got one of these. As if that's the goal. Having one of these is the goal. And quite honestly, that just, that just tires everybody out and puts everybody off. Particularly the ordinary people. And so, it's like the, the couch to the, the 5K. The training itself is not the end. The running, the 5K, is the end. That's the, 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 the training is the means to get there. So, when these habits, these spiritual habits, become the end goal, it defeats the purpose. 
when, it become, when they become ends in themselves, they become something that you've got to do better than anybody else to feel good about yourself. They also become something that you do out of obligation and duty rather than relationship. Here's what will happen. You, when these things are means to an end in themselves, you will get bored with your faith. You will get tired with your faith. And you'll get fed up of Jesus. But other people will think you're really spiritual. And that's, that's the problem we face because often I've encountered people who do all these things, but they've just looked down on me because they were doing them better than I could. And that's not Jesus' way. That's not who he is. So we... we we don't do these things and we don't have these things in our life because we're carrying these misconceptions and we've picked them up somewhere along the way. We've picked them up from parents, we've picked them up from church, we've picked them up from what we've seen on TV, when they caricature what Christianity is about. We, we've heard them taught by our Sunday school teachers, we've heard them even on the internet. And we, we go off and we try and get it to work for us and it doesn't because they are not ends in themselves. Without understanding what the end is, they'll bore you and drain you. And so you miss out on the more of God's grace and power and joy and peace and stuff that he promises for your life. So that, that gives us a question, doesn't it? What is the end? What is the end that these are the means for? Well, I'm glad you asked, okay? Because <laughs> this is where the scripture bit comes in. And this is, so, this is a passage I meditate and I think about and I mull over again and again and again and again. It's kind of one of my go-tos, if not the go-to bit of God's word that, that, that's there. So here we go. I'm, start, I'm in Matthew 22. What is the end that we're looking at? What are these things designed to do? And we, this, when we look at this passage, this passage is so familiar, it's kind of like one of Jesus' most famous moments. It's so famous that you've probably heard it, even if you haven't been around church. It's so famous that it's easy to skim it. So I'm going to, Matthew chapter 2, and I'm going to start at verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, um, some versions translate an expert in the law, asked him a question to test him, saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Remember, we're looking at what the end is. And that's what this guy's asking. What's the end? What, 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 what is it? What's the thing that we're aiming for? 
This, this is possibly the most important passage or, or summary that Jesus gives in all his teaching. Now, let's, let's notice some things first. Firstly, the Sadducees had already had a go at Jesus. So some, somebody, you, you know, like in Jesus' time, when he was going around doing good things and teaching, these, these, these various groups used to follow him around and make life difficult for him. And they were always trying to trip him up. So the Sadducees have had a go and failed. And so the Pharisees, who think they're better than the Sadducees, pick one of their best guys, you know, they've, they've done the like, committee meeting and they pick the guy and they're going to send the expert in the law. And he's going to sort Jesus out because those Pharisees are better than those Sadducees. And so they, they send this guy to ask Jesus a question. When it says expert in the law, what it means, when you look at the, the kind of the language that's used when, in its original form, it means somebody who's super studied in the law. So, it, so we've got a super studied person. You might have met those in, in your kind of Christian life. You've got su people who've super studied everything. And so this is the sort of person that they're sending to test Jesus. And... Why, why is this, it's easy for us to skim it, but this is a massive question. Because I don't know if you know, but in the Old Testament law, which is the thing we're talking about, there were 613 rules, not just the 10, the 613 rules. And then the Pharisees had come along and they put all sorts of traditions around those rules. And the other groups like the Sadducees and the scribes had put even more stuff around that. And the people couldn't do it. And what they were doing at the time, because at Jesus' time, this was a subject of debate. What is it that is really the most important thing for us to keep? And they were arguing about it. We find that from historical records. That this is a genuine argument. So this Pharisee, he's coming along to try and get Jesus to take a side. Because they're all arguing about it. So he's coming to trip Jesus up and say, Jesus is causing division. That's why this is a really important question. It's a really important question for us. What is it about church? What is it about Christianity? What is it about life? What is it about our relationship with Jesus? What's the important thing that we're aiming for? Here's what he says, verse 37. Jesus said to them, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's Nikki's preach, wholeheartedly. With all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Just think about that. Jesus is saying, if you don't have anything else that you focus on, this is the one thing you've got to get right. This is that, like the acid test. This is, this, is, this is the goal. This is the goal of the spiritual life for ordinary people that they love God with their energy, with their time, with their, their thought life, with their heart, with their, their, their possessions, with everything that we, we love God. 
See, Christianity is simple. It's love God. The hard bit is how do you get there? And that's these spiritual habits. They help you grow. And so, here's the thing. Jesus then goes on, doesn't he? He says, this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I think this is really interesting. And it's just so Jesus, isn't it? Because he's been a bit naughty. Because they've asked him for one, and he's given them two. Nobody asked him for two. Why did he give two? If nobody asked him for two, why not just go for the one? And say, that's my decision. Off you go, lads. Go and argue about it. But he gives two. And his second one is, this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What is he doing? He's describing what it looks like if you get the first one. Because if you get the first one, the way you can work out if you're getting it is if you are loving other people like you love yourself. That's how you can tell whether you're making progress. Us ordinary people can tell if we're making progress if we're loving other people like we love ourselves. So he's saying, I don't want it to be super spiritual and esoteric and all out there for you. I'm going to make this really simple because you might not know what it looks like to love God with all your heart, all your mind and all your soul because you've been taught that looks like sacrifices. That looks like blood all over the temple. That looks like burning of incense. That looks like everybody being miserable all the time. That looks like having to do all these things. And if you think that's what it means to love me, you're wrong. What it means to love me is to love other people. Now, here's a little aside, because some of you if you've been around Christianity a while, we'll have heard somebody come along. So, if I have to love other people like I love myself, I need to love myself first. And so, they take what Jesus is saying and twist it so it's self-centered. And I get that some people have lower self-esteem. But what Jesus is saying is there's no answers in that low self-esteem. There's no answers looking at yourself. The answer is loving other people. And really, when you're dwelling on yourself all the time, what Jesus is saying, you are loving yourself. Because it's all about you. Your life has become all about you. And Jesus is saying, if you really love, if you get this bit about loving God, and, and, you, and you, you've got this relationship with me, then you'll love other people. So, then he goes on. Verse 40. On these two commandments hang all the law and prophets. It's a bit of a throwaway comment, isn't it? Back to my putting my curtain pole up. No curtain pole. The curtains won't hang. And it's, it's not just the other 613 rules that Jesus is hanging on that curtain pole. He's hanging on it, all the prophets. He's hanging on it, everything that God has ever said and everything about God's relationship with you 
hangs on. Love the Lord your God with all your mind, with all your heart and all your soul. Love one another as you love, uh, as you love yourself. Everything hangs on that. Without that hanger, nothing works. That is the meat, that's the end that spiritual habits are trying to form in us. You get it? So as we engage with these spiritual habits, we'll end up loving like Jesus. When you uh, read Mark's account of this, it, Mark puts another uh, verse on the end and he said, and Jesus left them speechless. He shut them up. He shut all those religious people up because he made it simple for ordinary people. And the ordinary people go, okay, so I've just got to love God and do what it, what, what's there and learn how to grow in loving God. And I can, manage, I can see how well I'm doing by how, how much I love other people. By, do I love them like God loves them? Now, here's the thing. You, you, we don't ever graduate from this class. It would be nice to think that like, you could get there. But you don't ever graduate because you can't exhaust God. So we don't, we don't graduate from this class because we don't ever get there. This, this is the end. This is the goal this is where the spiritual habits enable to, us to make room for this to happen in our life. But it's a lifetime journey. Now, let me head towards the end. I, and maybe you, are not naturally good at this. The, the, the end bit, I mean. Naturally... I'm not inclined to love God with all my heart, all my mind, and all my soul. I would just get on with my life and have a nice life. Naturally, it's not that easy for me to love other people like God loves them. It's kind of a big progress by actually liking some people, let alone loving them. Naturally, for me, it's hard. I don't know if it's hard for anybody else, but it is. I, I think it is. I think the world demonstrates to us how hard that is. You see, what I'm good at, I'm good at, and, and I have to say Cheryl's a professional at it, is stressing and worrying about what's going on in our lives and what's going to happen and what could happen and what has happened and what may happen. And, and all these things, that's, that's me naturally. So if these spiritual habits or disciplines enable us to do what we cannot do on our own, in this case, loving God and loving other people, then they aren't about, there are means to an end, and that end is looking like, feeling like, acting like Jesus. Now, we do not have that ability in our own natural flesh life. That ability has to come from somewhere. And that somewhere is the Holy Spirit. So if you're a born-again believer, you have access to the Holy Spirit. That's the difference. 
This is impossible for somebody who doesn't already have Jesus in their life. It's pretty hard for those of us who do, because life's busy. But the ability to do it comes from the Holy Spirit, not ourselves. So what are these spiritual disciplines? They, let me take you back to where I started. They are activities that make room for us to experience more of God's transforming power. Put another way, they make room to help us gain power or the ability to live life and love others as Jesus modeled and taught. So they're, they're a pursuit, they're, a, they're, they're a, an exercise to put us in the path of God's grace. There's some things that are useful tools and, and they open up the ability to enter into the fullness of life Jesus invited us into. And, you know, all through the years I've been in ministry, I've come across Christians who say, well, I can't quite get this fullness of life that Jesus promised. You know, I came to give you life and life in all its abundance. And, and you say, well, are you, are you engaging in this way? And they go, no. I gave up on that a long time ago, got bored with that. Oh, it's just, I just don't have time. Well, then it's really hard to get in the path of God's grace. And it's really hard of our natural selves to live like this. Here's the problem. Some of us, most of us at some time, and all of us, at least on a few occasions in our life, do not make room for God. And it's not that God's absent. It's not that he's holding back. There's just not even room for him to fill. He can't get in. The bottom line for all this is you will experience as much of God as you're willing to make room for. You will experience as much of God as you're willing to make room for. And what we're going to find next week is that these spiritual habits are so life-giving. And they're going to cause you to do some things. They're going to, if, you, if you'll do some of the, these spiritual habits, they will produce some things in your life. They'll cause you to do some things. And you'll like those things. They'll cause you to slow down. Who wants life to slow down just occasionally? They'll lift you for a time out of the rat race. They'll stretch you to do some things you couldn't do before. They'll open up new possibilities, new ideas, new horizons, new thoughts. They'll cause you to succeed at some things you couldn't succeed at before. They'll cause you to overcome and get free of some stuff that you struggle to get free of. They'll cause you to trust God with what you can't control. And they will direct you to the place where your heart can experience God. You see, these are good things. These are valuable things. These are some of the most valuable things that we have on earth. 
And they will help us become a person who has joy, peace, trust, love, who enjoys life. Now that, I might be mistaken, but for me, that's the life I need. That's the life I want. That's the life my neighbors, I think, need. That's the life people I work with need. That's the life you, the people at the university need. That's the life people in Tesco need. This is the life everybody needs. Everybody needs to get in the path of God's grace. And these things help us do it. And if people who don't know Jesus are to find that path, they need this to show it and be it. And so that's why these things called spiritual disciplines, which we don't like, but let's call spiritual habits because we do like, are the most important things Jesus gives us by which we can live. This, what I've just described to you, and I'm going to flesh out next week, this is spiritual life for ordinary people. This is life where God meets you in the ordinary moments of ordinary lives on ordinary days. Amen. Let's stand. I'm going to pray for you. Father, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for everybody here. I want to thank you that we're all, whatever stage of our journey we're at, whatever misconceptions we've got in our heads before, that we can all make room for you in our lives. So Lord, I'm praying that you'll help us to ponder these things because you want us to to have that, that life of peace and joy and trust and to actually enjoy life. And that's what I want for all of us, Lord. So I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to write these things on our hearts. Amen. Amen. Amen.